0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Study of X. This is a bi weekly X Men podcast where we are going through the Krakow era of X Men comics chronologically. Uh, my name is Tim, and with me, as always, is Chris and Sergio. Hi,
1: hello.
2: Hello.
0: Yeah, so this week we are covering uh, issue three of X Men, issue three of Marauders, and issue three of Excalibur as we keep making our way through these uh, early issues. Uh, yeah, got, got a interesting batch of issues here.
2: Mm-hmm. Some really, really fun ones, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, looking forward to talk about this. So do we want to just get into it?
2: Yeah, I'm on yeah, board. Yeah, sure. All right, then in that case, we are opening up with X-Men number three, Horticulture. Uh, of course, written by Jonathan Hickman and released originally in December of 2019. Uh, we're opening up on a different spot this time in the Savage Land, where Krokoa has a harvesting center for their miraculous flower drugs that they're making. And unfortunately for them, we have some steampunking steampunk looking individuals walking through the gate.
0: Yeah, so- someone here is a plague mass. This is a uh, it's kinda cool looking.
1: Yeah, they've got like exposed gears and tubes, and a lot of like copper.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of brass, a lot of copper. And they pretty easily take down the mutants that are waiting at the gate for them.
1: Yeah. They do uh, they have their own goo guns. Yeah, like they
0: the. they are also using goo, but weaponized. That's Yeah, I don't know. This is pretty similar power uh like Krakawa like weapons uh-huh. here.
2: I'm all on board for universal goo guns being a thing.
0: Yeah. So, this seems to fire some sort of gelatin that seems to freeze people in place.
1: Yep, that's about it. They seem Mm -hmm. to be able to still talk through the uh, goo, even after they've been frozen.
0: Yeah, it it just kind of puts you in a shell, it looks like. Interesting Uh weapons here. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, so at the very least, they're not killing them, which is better than most of the X-Men's enemies, but still doesn't look like a good thing.
0: Yeah, um... I really like the dialogue here. Uh, They seem to just avoid using swear words, calling them... uh, One of the lines here is, we just love the S word out of flowers. So, Uh yeah, that's kind of their whole deal.
2: Yes. Yeah, they
1: also confirm uh, that they are not mutants when asked. Yes.
2: Yes, and that is probably one of the most important things, uh, as we're going to see leading into this next part, as we get to the Quiet Council, where... It's kind of found out that nobody can get to the Savage Land at the moment, and Krokoa is screaming about it, which, not a good thing, considering this is supposed to be a closed mutant-only system.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: there's a real fun interaction here between Jean and Emma, where they just kind of snipe at each other. It's mm-hmm. uh very, very snippy, but it's okay, they're going out to get drinks afterward.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, gotta say, I don't love Emma's outfit uh here
2: it's a very traditional emma outfit which is interesting she's always kind of dressed like that i'm i'm in the same like spot as you sergio i think her other outfits have been better but that has absolutely been her thing before
1: yeah, yeah i i miss her uh girl boss um forecoat
2: yes i do too i love that thing
0: but yeah, uh-huh. so uh, we get a data page here. Uh, Emma's apparently got a headache. Uh, Krakoa is not having a good time. Apparently, wildlife is more aggressive. Um, Black Dom Cassidy has noticed a decrease to the like island mass. And uh, all the telepaths are just having a very, very bad time right now.
2: Yeah, and the important thing here is that uh, actually Krakoa is parasitic which they haven't mentioned before. Uh, It says here that Krakoa has to feed on the psychic energy of mutants to survive. And normally it has to eat two mutants a year to survive. But because there are so many mutants on the island, it's fine now. They just take, the island just takes a little bit from each mutant instead of having to essentially kill a mutant to survive.
1: That's like being in Texas.
2: Yeah, it's like living in Texas. Although without the benefits, oh, like taxes. I heard Texas, but I'll go go with both. (laughs) That's so funny.
0: (laughs) It's just yeah, you know, it's the same thing. Um, But yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I did they mention this issue before in House of X and Powers of X?
1: No. Yeah, I don't remember hearing. I do not
2: recall that. I I always remembered that there was some sort of a transaction between the island and mutants. And I'm pretty sure this is what I was remembering. Uh but uh, yeah, no, this was never put on the brochure of when you come to live at paradise, the island eats you just a little bit.
0: Yeah, because I, I could have sworn there was something in there about them like thinking about using husk to like feed Krakowa. But uh yeah, this, this gets around that problem pretty easily. Just there's enough people here that Krakowa doesn't need to eat a whole person.
2: Yeah, yeah. although it doesn't work out when the island is in pain. I, I mean nobody has died at the very least, but this seems bad. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this would be a should be a bigger issue.
1: Yeah, a couple of observations here. Um this data page mentions Krakowan Wildlife, which we haven't seen a lot of. Um and I would love to see what Krakowan Wildlife looks like. Because we have seen some like regular animals. Mm-hmm. Um but then we just saw on the previous X-Men issue that there were uh, some weird animals on the other island that it was merging with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, 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 th- I do wonder what's up with that, especially mm-hmm. since this seems to confirm that there is kind of like a link between the mm-hmm. fauna within Krakoa and Krakoa itself. Like it's like they were also affected by um, this perturbance.
0: We uh, we saw a little bit of it in Expose One, I believe.
1: Yes, I. I was going to refer to that, because uh, I think it's a wolverine who hunts one of them. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, I would love to see a lot more of that. I, I yeah, feel like I agree. They've it's... been holding out on us on uh, the weird animal front.
0: Yeah, we need, more fu- we need more funky animals, it's true.
1: Yeah, and also, um, I wasn't entirely sure how much time had passed between the initial kind of assault we see in the first pages of this issue, and then the uh, council meeting happening, but it it hasn't been more than a few hours.
0: Yeah, I have to assume. I'm I'm guessing uh, the psychics wanted to probably get this out of the way pretty quickly with being in literal pain.
1: Uh
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. Especially not to mention the other problems that are popping up.
0: Yeah, like not being able to access the Savage Land seems like a pretty pretty uh big emergency situation here
1: yeah. yeah actually now that you mention it um the cover to this issue has scott and emma riding dinosaurs
2: which is super sick i love it
0: yeah we we don't for being in the savage land don't get much uh dinosaurs here
1: yeah i i only just made a connection as uh Chris was, like, narrating the beginning of the of the issue that the Savage Lands probably meant dinosaurs. Uh, but there aren't actually any dinosaurs on this issue, which I find very disappointing. Yeah. Needs yeah. more dinosaurs.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's probably because they do have this garden, I guess, set up. They, I mean, they do mm-hmm. need somewhere mm-hmm. to grow the flowers. I don't know why they just don't do it on Krakoa. But, hey, you know what? Just take over part of the Dinosaur Land. That's, ca- that's okay. Yeah. So, but even though we don't get literal dinosaurs, we get figurative dinosaurs, uh, because we're heading back to the Savage Land, where these- That is so mean. (laughs) I know, I'm sorry, it was the best segue I had. Uh, But we do find out that these steampunk individuals are actually a group of four older ladies, uh, who are honestly really funny together. I love all of them.
1: Yeah, they've got- Got a good rapport between them.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really good dynamic here. Like all of their dialogue is just really great. Uh Uh, I I love their old woman names. We got Edith and Opal and Augusta and Lily. Mm -hmm.
2: Mhm. Mhm. And the best way. I love
1: um, I love this panel of Edith like looking to the side and her orange shades like eclipse her eyes, and it's really good looking eye. I think that's a cool pose for her. I'm happy yeah. for them.
0: Edith just comes across as just like, really enjoying this. But yeah, she gives a anecdote here about uh, how she collects uh, her husband's social security, who she uh, not so subtly is implying she murdered. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, even though these ladies do look like they walked off the set of The Golden Girls, They're clearly, they clearly mean business. You know, they've murdered people. They're talking about basically, if not killing the mutants, at least disabling them.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Also, a word means ass. Opal is just, it's good stuff. It's a good line. Everything about their dialogue is just really fun. But uh, anyway, so uh, Cyclops, uh, Sebastian, and Emma, a little odd group here to send, decide to go to the outback.
2: Yeah. So they take a Krokoan gate to the outback uh, because they can't directly get to the Savage Lands. Uh, So instead, they are looking for another way to it. So uh, they meet up with their good friend, whose name I can't remember at the moment.
0: Uh, Gateway.
2: Yeah, Gateway. Thank you.
0: So um, this is actually kind of a fun callback uh, there was a period of time where e- the X Men ended up uh, getting kind of stuck in just some weird dimension thing and ended up operating out of Australia because of that. And Gateway was how they got around during that time.
2: Cool. He seems very useful to have around.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. He, uh huh. He previously appeared in. Was it New Mutants? Uh, it no, was it was, Marauders. was um, Marauders. Marauders,
0: yeah. We have seen him already.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. he transported them all the way to London from their uh, tattoo parlor.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, him him just not really doing much and them just being like, hey, can you teleport us somewhere? And him just kind of silently doing it is very on brand for this character. This is just kind of his whole deal. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I get that vibe from him that he's like, this is what I do and I do it. Okay. Yep.
1: Yeah, he's cool. It's an easy job. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Do your job get paid?
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh And he does his job well as he takes them immediately to the Savage Lands, uh, where we find horticulture gathering a bunch of crocoan flowers. Uh, we get a couple of jokes from Sebastian calling them horticulture, uh, considering they're all women. But he will get his comeuppance later on, thankfully.
0: Oh yeah. They every time there is a slight against them, they just roundabout throw it back at them. It's hilarious. Um, there's a very mean insult to Emma here, and just the panel reacting to it is...
2: It's perfect. Yeah. I love it. Just Emma's horrified look, Sebastian with his hand over his mouth, and then Scott just looks away. He's like, I have to Uh compose myself. I'm not going to say anything.
1: I I find it, uh, you know, so funny that Emma gets sent on a mission here. Uh, This feels like it would be a little bit beneath her uh, compared to what we've seen her do uh in other issues i guess there's the like connection to the flowers and that's kind of like her end side of things um yeah, yeah. I, I just find it funny that she's she gets sent to be a food soldier in this one
0: yeah but both her and sebastian being here is a little bit weird cyclops is like a war captain so that's fine but yeah this feels like it's like you you should have someone do this for you
2: yeah, although, thinking about it, I'm wondering if it's because they are the two quote-unquote leaders of the Hellfire Trading Company, which handles all of the flowers, so maybe yeah. that's why they were sent there? That's the only connection I could think of.
0: Yeah, that that seems to be the connection they're going for here, but it still feels like that's not something they actually have to go do themselves.
1: Yeah. Uh, it also helps to have Emma here, so she can note that uh, she can't actually read their minds.
0: Yeah. She mm-hmm. uh, she does try to do some tele- telepathy stuff and just cannot do it. Um, also, declares she's not going to fight them.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, very noble of her, of course. I'm sure for good intentions.
0: Yeah, uh, her immediately turning to Cyclops and being like, "Can you hit them harder than you normally would?" is really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sebastian uh, decides he's going to try diplomacy though, so we're going to skip that for now. We'll see how we'll see how he handles this.
2: I don't know if I would call it diplomacy, as if trying to, like, underhandedly woo them, and failing spectacularly at it. Um, Because I don't know what he's trying here, but he, like, tries to hit on them, but also not hit on them at the same time. And it does not work, because he is very creepy and intimidating.
1: Well, he's got this speech prepared, it's very ineffective.
0: Yeah, he, he comes across with a huge speech. He's he's pretty much trying for some quid pro quid here. He's like, Hey, you know, we'll we'll say it. let's let's try to work this out so you can take some of these flowers legally, you know, not have to steal from us and you let us know how you hacked our gates because uh that seems like a security issue. And um, mm-hmm. they goo gun him in the face.
1: Yep. Like mm-hmm. point blank <laughs> like, at the face. Yep, uh, and then just
2: it's so good. They just all stand around and they just start beating him with their weapons and kicking him. It's it's amazing.
0: No, I, I just love the, it's the goo gun to the face. And then immediately you get like a panel of Edith screaming, hit him with the gas. And yeah, Sebastian just gets curb stomped here. It's really funny.
2: Mm-hmm. And- I think these
1: ladies may have a point. I, I think I may be on their side. Yeah. I,
2: I also kind of am they've won me over they won me over much earlier but just watching them do this in response to his attempts to make a deal perfect I love them so much
1: uh-huh
0: um, Cyclops uh blasts them away with a another fun line of please step away from the aristocrat.
2: Yep, and even he acknowledges that, yeah, Sebastian's not the best person, but he is their person, so maybe don't kick him too much.
0: I I think he needs another person. I also,
2: I also think he needs a couple more kicks. He could have waited maybe five more seconds to jump in and help. It's
0: also kind of funny because uh, apparently the gas turns off their powers. Um, otherwise, this would have just helped Sebastian because of his whole kinetic thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was good for them to actually have that. Yeah. Uh, but these ladies are also really, really good at deception uh, because one of them fakes that she broke her hip. So Cyclops, you know, saying that this lady has now broke her hip, is going to go over to help her and also gets a goo gun to the face.
0: Yeah, they, they do water aerobics and yoga four days a week at the YMCA. I don't know what was what he was expecting here.
2: Mm-mm. Yeah, he stood no chance against those ladies. Are you kidding?
0: So, uh... Yeah, um, this doesn't go super well for Cyclops either. Uh, Emma asked them what their whole deal is, and uh, then we get to learn what their whole deal is.
2: Yeah, we get a very nice flashback here. uh, As we see that all four of these ladies worked in kind of commercial bioengineering and biotech companies uh, with the ultimate goal of saving the Earth, healing the Earth and everything. But they, of course, found out that capitalism ruins everything, and greed is a horrible, horrible disease. And so they decided that they would fix the problem themselves uh, by probably killing a couple billion people off of the planet.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of interesting. They don't seem to have a consistent ideology here either. Um, everyone seems to have kind of a different idea. Uh, opal thinks that the future belongs to the children lily never cared much for kids uh edith wants to kill everybody um so it's not really much of a this seems more the the ideology that like binds them here is that they just think a bunch of people should die Mm
1: -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. they're a caricature of like extremist yeah green activists
2: yes yes absolutely
1: yeah I i think it's funny like it, I think it's meant to be funny rather than like, uh, yeah, like an we're... idea that should have been given an ounce of like, uh, fair reasoning. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think I'm just meant to laugh here.
0: Yeah, and I, I I kind of get that vibe too. Like they yeah. are they are a little bit scary and they are a little bit threatening, but like I don't think this ideology is meant to have you sympathize with them.
2: No, no, yeah, I don't. No. I don't think so either. I mean, they go from we disagreed with the fellow scientists to we killed them, buried them and then grew plants out of their dead body. Yeah. You know, they're not supposed to be sympathetic. I agree. There's no nuance here. They're just very funny, violent old ladies.
0: Uh So uh, anyway, Horde culture, just uh, they have their flowers, so they're going to leave. And apparently what they want is just to uh, figure out some more stuff about Krakoa, And if this is going to mess up their plans, because uh, the the reason they decided to come here was because uh, Karakawa was a very weird thing to get introduced when they were trying to make their human extinction plan, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. They were this close to hacking the planet, and then a new biome showed up, and they were not about that. So I understand why they did it. Uh, I am curious to know how they did it because, again, we thought from up until this point nobody but a mutant could get through the flowers or the gates, and they just immediately proved us wrong.
1: I I really do like um, the whole concept of it being like um, agrochemists and view engineers and geneticists, the ones who are able to hack the gates, um, so they're not entirely magic, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, all that we've seen of like the constructs that Krakoa has is able to do uh are like biological and very uh botanic in nature.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh so I do like them coming up with like the foil to uh Krakoa's infrastructure being a bunch of evil bioengineers. Um, yeah, and the ones who, who get to crack this first, uh being bioengineers is uh, clever. I, I like that concept.
0: Yeah, like, it, it's something that I feel like makes a lot of sense. Like, oh, who's going to probably have the most insight on how to mess with Krakoa? And it's like, well, yeah, botanist.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I'm, I'm also glad that they're here because it's a good foil for Orcus. Because Orcus is all about machines, technology, the, the obvious way that they would go with science. And it's just nice to be like, okay, they have villains that aren't just that. They have villains that have the same rough, you know, biological playing field that they're going for.
1: Yeah, I I wonder how this interacts with, like, Apocalypse uh, vision of, like, Gates being purely magic. Uh, I I doubt that this is where that's going. Like, they're not going to uh, make those two concepts clash. Uh, But this does hint towards, like, magic... And uh, um, like the mysticism in X Men being very deeply uh, tied to uh, flora and like the the biology of of mm-hmm. Krakoa.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which I also really enjoy uh, because it does give us a stronger tie to Krakoa itself instead of just being a piece of land that they live on.
1: Yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, horde culture just leaves, and uh, Emma throws some shade at Gateway.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe deserved, maybe not. He was just kind of chilling, floating off to the side while everything happened.
0: Yeah. And uh, she reports to the council and says they have an issue. Uh, Sebastian standing here with a black eye is really funny.
2: Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I also agree. I think it's really funny.
0: And uh, we get our last data page of the issue here, which is just like a spread of what they know about horde culture. Uh, Augusta is best friends with Opal Opal is best friends with Augusta Lily thinks she's best friends with Opal and Edith doesn't like friends
2: mm-hmm.
0: also apparently they have a mobile base in Arizona mm-hmm. yes
2: which is interesting because it's just never brought up but hey I'll take it
1: yeah yeah. Uh, not a super needed data page here um,
2: I, I think it's more funny that's than fine. anything
1: yeah.
2: Uh, but yeah a lot of this is just covered by what we saw with the characters talking about Uh, We get some ages for the ladies as well, uh, which I thought was a bit surprising because they looked older. Uh, At least some of them did. Uh, They range from 64 to 81 years of age. So also, side thing, I actually really like that we have some villains or at least some characters that are older women. That traditionally almost never happens. So I was happy to see them here in any capacity. So it was really cool. Uh, But personally, I love these evil golden girls, and they are one of my absolute favorite silly things that have been introduced so far.
0: Yeah, uh, this issue is really fun. Um, I feel like they've really kind of, uh, I I feel like it does a really good job at making them a credible threat while also making this just a really fun issue to read. Like, Mm -hmm. it breezes by.
1: Yeah, Um, it's a really fun swerve from where we were last uh, time we read uh, X-Men.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, with demon incursions and weird secret plots and communication with other people. That one was uh-huh. still had some funny bits in it. But this one, no, this one's just going for funny. While also still building the world. Because even though we're like, okay, yeah, this is, this is great, this is silly. You do now have the real credible threat of somebody can get through our portals. And that's a problem.
0: Yeah, and this was like a... Like, as fun as it was, this was a complete loss for the X-Men here. Like, they, mm-hmm. they did not succeed. They got beat up.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, no, they 100% lost here, which I also think is kind of interesting. But we'll see what that fallout is, because those ladies did take a lot of flowers.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, very much a setup issue, uh, but I really enjoyed it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I that's where I would be as well. Good setup issue, funny, really fun. I you know I'm happy to have read it again, and I would read it again easily.
1: So
0: we want to go on to uh, Barotter's.
1: Yeah, um, another. I I feel like this is another issue with a lot of like uh, feels like a setup.
0: Yeah, I think this one also kind of answered a lot of questions that I found were pretty interesting here. So well, mm. let's get into this a little bit.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, so we are moving on to Marauders number three, The Bishop in Black, uh, written by Gary Duggan and released also in December of 2019. Uh, We are opening up here with a description of Hellfire Bay. It shows us the Red Keep, Blackstone, and the White Palace. And uh, also fun to note is where part of our uh, cover art comes from uh, is this image here. Uh, I just, I really love it. It's just got a great perspective and also really cool different layers for the three factions of the Hellfire Trading Company.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's cool looking. I like this shot a lot. Um, Yeah, I, I got nothing to say. Great art.
2: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which continues on throughout this whole issue as well. Uh, But there is a bit of a dialogue over everything, and we find out that we are looking at Sebastian Shaw and what he did very early on in Krakoa. Because several weeks ago, he had to right a grievous wrong. And we find out that he is there to see the resurrection of his son, the second mutant to ever be resurrected.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Right after Pyro, who's, like, on a wheelchair.
0: Yeah, he got into Logan's stash, and I just, uh, I really want to know what Logan's stash is.
2: Yeah, because apparently it knocked him out pretty bad.
1: Yeah, he's, like, drooling. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. He's drooling in a wheelchair, repeating himself. I would imagine uh, Logan probably has extremely strong alcohol.
0: Yeah, but, yeah, uh, man, to be in a wheelchair...
2: Yeah, that's gotta be real bad. It's a good thing they have some healers on the island, I guess.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah, I was I was a little bit confused here, uh seeing Xavier pop up and then just kind of realized this is uh supposed to be a flashback.
1: Yeah. Um I I had to do a double take when I saw the issue cover, uh, but it gets resolved pretty quickly as it is a flashback.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very subtle one because they just say a couple of weeks ago he was doing something. No like big thing that was like previously or anything.
1: Uh
2: Uh, And we actually get a very nice subtle look into Sebastian here as his son is brought back. And he immediately goes down to help his son up, but he pauses instead and stands up proud and very confident and welcomes him back instead.
0: Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Like it's it's this moment, I feel like, where you kind of see some like genuine like love and affection from Sebastian. Uh this is his son after all, and instead he realizes that what he's about to show is not what he wants to present, and stands in this very intimidating, proud-looking pose, and Yeah, I don't know. It's it's almost a little bit sad.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. that's that's how I came away from it, too. I'm like, your son is coming back from death and we're gonna see in the next page that his death was really brutal. And instead of showing compassion for his son, he still has to play the part that he thinks he should.
1: Yeah. His son is called Shinobi.
0: Yes. Yes. Shin- Shinobi Shaw. Uh, I don't know much about this character. Uh, this death actually happened in Uncanny X-Men, um, The run before this one he did it to himself we'll get to that in a little bit but uh yeah Yeah. seems to have ties with japan too uh
2: yes uh i went ahead and actually researched him a bit uh there's actually not a lot outside of what happened in uncanny uh avengers i think you said Uh, x-men x-men uncanny x-men um he basically the whole thing with Shaw being his father, is Sebastian was in Japan, had an affair with a lady there, and he had a son. That was it.
1: And he happened to be a huge fan of uh, Sega's uh, 1987 arcade release, Shinobi. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes.
0: He, he literally, his, his son is, like, named Ninja. Like, mm-hmm. come on, man.
2: Like... I mean, that also kind of fits Sebastian. He would be the kind of person to do that, so... It's fun, it rolls off the tongue really well. Shinobi Shaw, I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, it's a really fun game. You gotta... Yeah. Uh, at least he's not called uh, Sonic.
2: This is true. <laughs> oh boy. Sonic Shaw.
1: <laughs> Sonic Shaw.
2: And that's the son he doesn't want to talk about.
0: He should have became like a Nintendo fan. Hmm. Oof,
2: should have. Diddy Shaw. Diddy Shaw. Oh man.
0: Uh. So yeah, we get a... Uh, a shot here of Shinobi's corpse before this end. Yeah, so... Um, Shinobi's powers are to make himself intangible. Kind of similar to Kate, actually. But can also, like, make his limbs harder and stuff as well. So he made his hand intelligible, stuck it through his skull, and then made it hard again. And that is how he died.
2: hmm And, you know, I love the panel here where it's shown because you just get shinobi asking how did i get here shaw kind of having a moment and then you just see his skeleton it's a really effective like oh something really bad happened to have him die
1: yeah it's so effective we get two versions of this scene uh in this issue yes yeah i
2: love it it both times
0: (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah we get we get a little banter after this um they're walking among Krakoa. Shinobi says he still wants to kill Sebastian. Sebastian seems okay with this.
2: Mm hmm. That's how you um, know that he's a Shaw.
0: And, uh, yeah, they're going through the door. Uh, go to the Black Keep. And, uh, we kind of learn here that Sebastian was. This is who Sebastian wanted as the Red King.
1: hmm.
2: Yeah, which I also. Again, th- this issue does a very good job of not directly telling you things and instead of indirectly doing so uh because all sebastian says here is to go get changed i made clothes for you but it's not in your color it's in red and he comes back out with a red suit and given the whole color thing going on with the hellfire trading company it works really well
0: yeah the the dynamic here between these two characters i feel is really interesting because you do get the vibe that These people were, these two were not exactly the biggest fans of each other for a long while. And it feels like Sebastian saw an opportunity here of like, oh, I could actually be a good terms of my son and is uh, taking advantage of that. This doesn't feel as typically business oriented as Sebastian, I feel like, usually comes across as. Like, he's definitely leveraging that and trying to, uh, you know, make some use out of that as well but it does feel like this is something he does have a personal stake in.
1: Hmm, interesting. It does feel kind of businesslike to me. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I don't
1: know much about Shinobi, um, but he does strike me as someone who's sort of pragmatic or trying to be pragmatic, and that's why he's not acting on his emotions solely, at least.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it feels like Sebastian's trying to appeal to that, because I do agree. I feel like there is like an undertone... Like, I I think Sebastian is trying to portray this as it is business, but I I get the vibe that Sebastian personally wants this to work out. Like, the reason he is trying as hard as he can to put Shinobi in this position is because he does want something with his son here.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It does remind me of, like, opposing politicians or uh, two CEOs of competing companies, like going out to dinner or something or meeting at a gala or something like that
2: having mm-hmm. a
1: conversation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would agree with you there. Which, it, it kind of feeds into that feeling that this is kind of sad, because I agree that this is something that Sebastian seems to have more of a stake in, but his son just came back to life after a brutal death, and this is the first thing he does. I'm sure maybe this is how Sebastian shows that he cares about people, uh, but it's not a very warm reception honestly
1: yeah i mean at the very least it's consistent with what we've seen of him true Um, very true. i don't think they touch each other in the entire uh issue
0: yeah and honestly i will say i feel like it's almost warmer than you would expect from sebastian here Mm. like it, it it feels like this relationship has been very cold or has even been hostile before this so like it being at a point where they're, like, just friendly discussing business with each other seems like a pretty weird step for these two.
1: Uh-huh. Uh,
0: so, yeah, they go through Crackowin Gates um, to New York, which is very interesting because they have this whole thing fenced off with of a bunch of soldiers around it. And uh, they say it's to keep people out, but then they ask Sebastian what he wants to declare. And this is just, like, yeah, this is a U.S. border they put up.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh
1: huh. This is this is like checkpoint Charlie. Yeah. Like...
2: <laughs> oh yeah. One hundred percent.
1: Uh huh.
0: Um. Some uh. Some people from a cult come up to uh, Sebastian and Shinobi. Uh, Sebastian very rudely uh knocks them away. I don't think they needed to do this, but uh. From what this other man is shouting, they might appreciate it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, they seem to be, like, pro-mutant cultists. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Sebastian commented on it in the next page, that their sudden rise has made cults that are both pro-mutant and anti-mutant. Uh, but it does seem like this cult in particular sees them as gods and just wants to be seen by the gods, uh, which, personally, I find to be a really cool take on this, uh, because... Yeah, you do have all of these people all of a sudden have their own island, they are now a nation, they are giving out drugs to extend life and have solved most disease. Yeah, there's going to be some people that are going to worship them. So I'm fascinated that they even brought that into this already.
1: I think it helps that they call themselves gods
2: yes yeah. i also think that helps too <laughs> uh you know if you see magneto on tv lording over people like he owns the place yeah you're gonna see some people being like oh of course he is he's a god well, why are you asking
0: yeah like this this does feel like it makes sense like you're going to have some humans hate them and you're going to have some humans that do just kind of buy into the whole thing and like actually worship them
2: Hmm. i would love to see this cultist interaction with somebody like Charles Xavier you know to see how he would respond to these people because i don't think he would come into this trying to lord over them i feel like he would try to dissuade them from doing that
0: yeah i i don't know about the current charles but yeah that that is something that is would be kind of interesting um i would like to shout out this next panel here because uh as they're talking you see they're getting out of a horse drawn carriage And uh, I I just think that's a fun little character take right there. Like, yeah, this is a character that would go to a steakhouse in a horse-drawn carriage.
2: Totally. This is the guy who's got, like, $10,000, $20,000 suits. Like, of course he's gonna spend the money and do something like that in Manhattan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was in Manhattan uh, a month ago, and I saw people in carriages. I am sure that Sebastian would That'd uh, be one of them.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, that that's a thing. I that, yeah, some big cities just have those running around. They're like probably more expensive luxury taxis.
2: Probably. I, I uh-huh. would believe that. And I mean but, I also I also say this, but like, hey, if I had the chance to do that, you bet that'd be cool. But at least once, maybe not on the way to a very fancy steakhouse.
0: Yeah, probably not. Um Anyway, uh, we get our scene of the dinner where Sebastian talks about the situation they're in and, and what is going on with Emma. He's uh, retelling of the situation uh, seems a little little off.
2: Uh, a little's putting it kind of nicely uh, he's making it very much like he is the savior and Emma is fumbling at every turn.
0: Yeah, Emma got over her head and was just like, please help Sebastian and it's like, no dude what um, and yeah this is this is a just a boldface lie.
2: Mm hmm. But it builds his character like you're getting a really clear look at who this guy is. He's business. He's very much trying to make everything pro him. If he can take an action that helps himself, he's going to do it. Like, I definitely see this as a character that would probably, you know, murder his own son to get ahead.
1: Uh huh.
0: Yeah. Um, so Shinobi isn't sure if he wants to kill him or not. But uh, does need to go to Tokyo.
2: Mm -hmm. And thankfully, Krokoan gates are a very quick way to Tokyo. And I would love if they were real because, man, that would be great.
0: Yeah. um, So he goes into a temple looking thing. And, uh, yeah, apparently he owes some things to these people here.
2: Yes, and I tried looking this up to see what this was, and this is actually a new plot point that they started for Shinobi. Uh, This is not something that he's ever had in the past, so whoever he is working for here that he calls father, uh, and this man calls him son, whatever debts that he is supposed to repay, we have no clue what they are. This is new, this is all untreaded territory. Mm. So, and I also, uh, I do want to say just how this is. Uh, we do have some men in, in suits and it looks like some of them have guns with them. I get big Yakuza vibes from this guy that Shinobi is talking to. So I would take a guess that this is probably organized crime of some kind. Uh, but that's like the best guess I have.
0: Yeah. Um, Yakuza would fit with the Sega theme. So that, that does make sense. <laughs>
2: uh yeah that's true that's true
0: um anyway so we get a- another x desk update here where uh they still seem to be on the back foot
2: Mhm. yeah they're not they're not doing too hot uh we do get some fun info like how the marauder's boat is incredibly fast faster than anything in the u.s navy Uh, We get some info that Island M is being used by mutants uh, and that Kate and Bishop were talking via unsecured cell phones where it's pretty clear Kate is trying to get Bishop to be the Red Bishop for the Hellfire Trading Company.
0: Uh, yeah. She wants Bishop to be the Bishop. That's, you know, it's in the name. Uh Uh-huh. Um, Mm -hmm. I... Also really love this part of the x report where they're just make a complete detour in what they're reporting to be like, what happened with Forge? Why did we let him go? Because, yeah, that guy used to work for
1: the government. Oops. Yep.
2: That's, uh, yeah, I I don't know if I'd ever let that guy go.
1: Yeah, for sure. I like this uh, recurring bit uh, going across uh, different issues in the Marauder series. Uh, it's fun just to check in with this, uh, like, team uh, only through this, like, ancillary material they get. Um And I like checking in with uh, the Marauder team, which makes no appearance in this uh, issue as well.
0: Yeah, it's just like a little, like, th- yeah, they are still doing stuff, even if this is mainly a Sebastian issue. Uh, uh-huh. Kate calls um, Bishop Bishy, which I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the X-Desk is really funny to see because it's just very... Seeing the marauders through the eyes of a government agency that feels really bogged down by, like, budget and bureaucracy is really fun.
2: Yeah. I and... would read
1: that, yeah. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. same.
2: <laughs> yeah, like, I would I would read a whole thing on this of talking about the X-Men, but not directly through the X-Men. Uh, but honestly, Sergio, now that you pointed it out... Compared to other data pages we've gotten in different uh, series that we're reading, I don't know if this one would be my favorite, but it's definitely up there. Because, yeah, you get world building. How is another government looking at these guys? You get to see what the Marauders are doing. And you just kind of get some quick facts about them that maybe you couldn't fit into a story really well. Like, hey, now we know the Marauders' new ship is super fast. And Storm is really strong when she is trying to command a boat. Uh, so you get all this really cool stuff in boom one page,
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm not even sure if I would call this a data page. This is a straight up like epistolary, um, narrative,
0: right? Mm. Like we're we're getting
1: mm-hmm. a story uh, from like written letters and conversations and things like that. And I, I really dig that kind of uh, uh, device when it's used, like literary device. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I do enjoy these more than most uh, like interruptions or like text interruptions in, in other issues. Especially since I feel like uh, it it feels like they have a quota to fill sometimes. Um and this one has kind of converted that uh, and it now serves a purpose beyond just like providing expository material or giving mm-hmm. more context or uh, you know, doing again exposition, uh, just to fill out some pages. Th- this feels a little bit more meaty and a little bit more focused to the needs of the like the issue and the story. This is really serving its objectives.
0: Yeah, I would I would mm-hmm. agree with all that. It, it does feel like the most like it, it's really interesting seeing how different writers approach these because it does feel like some are just trying to yeah we got to have some of these let's just fill some space and then. Yeah, Duggan here is very much just kind of weaving them in very naturally.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And making it look very easy, too. Like, this doesn't break the flow. It's very, you know, it's like, oh, of course this would be how it goes. Why wouldn't it go that way? But I also think that's part of the pro and con of reading various uh, comic book series at the same time is, yeah, you do get to see how other writers are doing it. Some do it super well, like Duggan. Some, not so much.
0: yeah. Uh, Anyway, that's a it's a pretty also a pretty good transition because now we're back to the present where uh, Kate now has the title of Red Queen.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, And we get uh, Sebastian and Shinobi back together where Sebastian basically offers his son to work with him, uh, even though his red ambitions must be must be put aside. But it is Shinobi's call
0: uh also i just want to note that this sword shinobi seems to have is the one that was presented to him from the uh previous interaction so that's kind of neat yeah Don't i, know I was
1: about to note that um who knows what happened between then and now
0: yeah
2: Mm-hmm. yeah because you do have some time that have passed but i hey, sebastian doesn't seem to care his son got a sword oh well
0: yep yeah, so um they, Sebastian seems to want him as the black bishop now because he cannot have the position of red king. Um, so we go down the dock a little bit and we see the uh white bishop boat, which is a submarine, but uh, the black bishop boat seems like a stealth military gunboat thing.
2: Yeah, we actually get a couple of really interesting tidbits here. Uh, first off is that Sebastian has a war room with little carved boats, uh, over the planet, which one, it was super cool. Uh, but also he's talking to his son about have, about the fact that they have island nations in two oceans. They're going to need some sort of a naval defense. And that seems to be what he's positioning his son to be is the military might of the hellfire trading company. Uh, And interestingly enough, he also mentions that they should have a non-terrestrial personnel, which to me kind of says that they're looking into space a bit.
1: Yeah. Um, I I thought some of the exposition here was a bit awkward because it felt like things um, Shinobi should already know uh, since we're now in the present. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are definitely some things that feel like they would be appropriate here since this is when... uh, Shaw's offering the Black Bishop position to his son.
2: Yeah, so I'd agree with that. Some of it's a little clunky, but it quickly picks itself back up uh, as he's offering it. Uh, But what I find interesting here is after it is offered, Shinobi says he will offer it, he will accept the offer under one condition, and he wants to know if his father knows how he died.
0: So... Okay, hold on. Let, let, let's get into that a little bit. But I just want to also just note here, I think Sebastian's mindset earlier on is pretty interesting when he kind of just mentions that the aging top 1% of their population owns 90, 90% of the wealth and they want to get as much money as they can from from them as they can before they die because the crackle drugs are going to prolong their life by five years. And I think that's a very capitalistic way to look at it. And it's, it's very interesting. I feel like that's a very spot on perspective that I could see Shaw having here where he's looking at this as like, oh, yeah, these five years are going to make the 1% just live longer. During that time, we can just try to get as much money from them as we can.
2: Um, yeah, no, I'm glad you pointed that out because I noticed that on my reading, but I forgot to mention it. Uh it's the scummy kind of capitalistic thinking of like, okay, how can we squeeze the most money out of these people right here? And he nails it 100%. Like, yeah, of course the 1% is going to spend an obscene amount of money trying to get and drugs. They're going to live longer. Of course they are.
0: Yeah, it, and yeah, I think that's the interesting part of this also is because like, what would happen if you had drugs that made people live longer? Who would get those drugs? And the answer is like, very obviously... Yeah, uh, old rich people are going to be taking those. And Mm -hmm. that is going to have the byproduct of extending their lives, so they end up holding that wealth for longer.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And as we've seen already, Shaw is not the kind of person that really cares about people. So, you know, of course he's only going to look for the money. Whereas you have Emma's side of it, and she seems... To be the in-between between between Kate and Shaw, where Kate is definitely the person who is the optimist and is looking at this to help people. Uh, Where Shaw is the opposite and is looking for the money. Emma's somewhere in the middle. I feel like she would agree with what Shaw is saying, but also be like, okay, but we should make the drugs available to other people too.
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting. I would have thought that um, Shaw would have been part of the 1% he was talking about Uh, but he seems to be more like the uh rover type of person or like caricature uh, or what he's trying is like scam people or not precisely scam but get as much out of this business deal as he can Uh, and that to me makes him look like a loser
2: yes 100% I know yeah, only I,
1: I yeah, go ahead.
2: I was gonna say I only know tidbits about Shaw's past. Uh he definitely acts like he's a part of the one percent, and I wanna say he's usually fairly wealthy, uh, but he's always done the, the very scummy kind of wealth gathering. So, you know, he, he's the guy who would rather bankrupt a hundred people to make his wealth than doing it some other way. So I think you honestly you nailed that description of him.
0: Yeah, and I, I do get the vibe that I almost does kind of want to portray this guy as kind of a loser. Um, like, I mean, look how he dresses. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's very much like Shaw here doesn't seem to be great at this all the time.
1: Yeah. So, in the end, I don't buy his capacity to, like, uh, siphon money off of wealthy people. Uh, yeah, to his coffers. I don't think, uh, you know, his, his way of going about it is going to succeed because I don't think he actually knows uh, what those people are like, because I don't think he's like those people.
0: Yeah, he, he's trying to be. I think he wants to give off the vibe that he is, but that's just not him.
2: I mean, I I think we get the perfect look at at that when we saw him earlier when his son came back to life. He had to put the mask back on. He had to put the aid up and he had to do the act.
1: Yeah, he gives me, like, crypto guy uh, vibes. (laughs) It's like, we're going to hack the economy. Um, You know, we're going to do a paradigm shift that's going to, like, change the relations with wealth and uh, who accumulates what. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, using and all the buzzwords.
1: Just, yeah. yeah, exactly. But he doesn't have it.
0: Uh, yeah. But yeah, just just based on what you're saying, Shinobi asked how he died, and um, yeah, we get another shot this time of Shinobi's body with his hand stuck through his face, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's brutal looking. Um, and Sebastian tells him how he died was the white and red queens conspired to murder you. Um. Yup. Just uh, lying. Uh, I love this shot of him looking just, like, very concerned by this statement with the sunset over him, though. And it's just a statement that, like, the audience knows is bullshit.
2: Yeah, which, honestly, I think works well, because even coming into this, if you haven't read anything, you've at least seen Kate. And Kate does not come across as the person who is going to conspire to murder anybody. So even without, like, total background knowledge, you can kind of tell that Shaw is lying. Uh. Uh-huh. Uh Sergio, I did want to ask you, did you get that when reading this final declaration or were was it kind of like, eh, we'll see?
1: No, I I think it does like uh he's very coherent with what we were just saying about him like being a loser and ultimately like jumping to lying when uh doing business and like dealing with problems. Um, so I think it's very in line with his character to just outright lie. I I don't think like that Kate would conspire to murder uh, anyone.
2: Mm-mm. No, Emma, mm, maybe, but Kate, no. Mm mm. Yeah. She she's a
1: pure. I could soul. see Emma doing it. Yeah, sure.
0: Well, uh, do we want to move on to uh, Excalibur here?
2: Yeah. yeah, we can move on to Excalibur. Uh, We are at Excalibur number three, verse three, the three covenants, uh, of course, still written by Teeny Howard and released in December of 2019, uh, which is going to be kind of important at the end of this. Uh, Mm. But uh, we are opening up to something a little different. Uh, We see here a new mutant that we have not met previously in this, as he is listening to U.S. political discourse on and Gates. And it looks like this man is not able to control his powers because he tries to step outside and causes a mini-earthquake in the process.
0: Um, I actually really like this first shot of his apartment. I feel like it gives you a lot of vibes on... Uh, this is not a happy person. You get a lot of just, like, beer cans and pots filled with uh, dirt. Uh-huh. Or beer bottles, I mean. But, uh, yeah, uh, very... Sadly, looking at some children outside of his apartment playing soccer. Yep.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And then, you know, he steps back inside. You get a bit of his computer screens that he has, and it's basically all mentioning how his powers have ruined his life, what can he do about it, etc., etc. And then he's also watching live streams of Krakow and Gates to watch other mutants run through them, even though he's unable to do so himself.
1: Yeah, I don't think these are his like forum posts. I think he's like reading other people's posts who are dealing with this sort of issue. Yeah, it's kind of the vibe I got here too. Mm-hmm. He, he
2: just he he's, he, oh, he's go googling.
0: Ahead. He's googling how can you control your powers, uh, and then Reddit afterwards and just clicking mm-hmm. on all the results he can. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh.
2: yeah. he absolutely is.
1: Do you even have the little, like, upvote and downvote arrows on the Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: And then we get something kind of interesting here. Uh, There has been no mention of repeated messages from Krokoan mutants to other mutants around the world inviting them to come home. But that seems to be the implication here, because someone does speak to Richter and tells him to come home, which, of course, upsets Mm. him because he can't do that. But I'm wondering who's actually doing that.
0: Yeah, so um, I, I'm not sure who that is either. Uh, just for a little bit of background knowledge, this is a pretty – this is a mutant that's been around for a while. Uh, he was originally introduced in the original run of X-Factor back in the 80s, and has been a part of quite a bit of teams since then. Um, don't think he's been seen for a little bit. So, yeah, he's he's got some friends around, so I'm not sure who this would be, but it makes sense for someone to be
1: trying to reach out to him.
2: You know, that makes yeah, sense. Wouldn't
1: surprise me if it was Apocalypse from what we see at the end of this issue.
0: Yeah.
2: Also true. I, I could see that.
0: And that's, I I actually don't remember, but I think Apocalypse might have captured him in that original X-Factor run at some point. Like, Apocalypse was a main mm. villain of that, and Richter was like one of the kids. I oh. could
2: see that. So, uh,
0: he has himself a box full of dirt that he gets into when his powers are going nuts and he's causing earthquakes, which seems to be pretty frequently.
2: Yep, Yep. and like Tim said, you immediately get the vibe that everything sucks. He's not having a good time.
0: No, this seems, um, Apocalypse refers to this as depression, and yeah, no, that's exactly, uh what the vibe that we gotta get here like he doesn't seem to want to like go on at all uh he just feels like he's just completely out of control yep um anyway we get a data page here of some posts from a Krawa form um these posts here I actually do kind of get the impression that this might be Richter. Uh, someone says they're a throwaway account and they're having a problem controlling their powers, and they want to know if it would be better or worse on Krakowa. Yeah, and uh, yeah,
1: I I love this page. I
0: love this page too. The response to this that he gets is uh, someone saying it's pretty vague. This is like, have you ever tried to troubleshoot a problem with like a computer or something on like a form? Because this is like every single post.
2: Yes. Yeah, no. I mean, even the name of the website here is mimicking Reddit and the yeah. way it does like subreddits and everything. It's great. It, this mimics it really well, honestly.
1: Yeah. Um com redirects to the official X-Men website.
0: <laughs> oh, does it? Did you try it? That's a, I I, did, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's great. I
2: love that. I love that a lot.
1: I wish that gone the extra mile and actually had a forum up there. Right. Yeah.
2: Or maybe even a fake forum. I would have taken that Yeah, too. Yeah, that's
1: what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, But no, it just it just redirects to like marvel.com slash comic events, house effects, and powers effects. <laughs> yeah,
2: that makes sense. <laughs> that's, that's fun. I like that.
0: But uh-huh. yeah, he, he gets kind of just a, uh, he, he gets one of the responses where he just kind of brushes it off and it's like, I-, I could see this. Like, you're just Googling links and you end up stumbling across these posts. You see this, like, account where it just didn't get their answer and disappeared from the internet.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, it's a, it's a very good, like, yeah, that's a forum post, all right.
2: Yeah.
1: This is the closest we've gotten to what I wanted to see regarding, like, day-to-day life on the island. Yes. This data page right here just immaculate. I love it.
2: Yeah. It's, um it's really I do good. wonder
1: what the tampon situation is on the island. I it, also that's, wanna like, know. It makes so much sense. Why has no one talked about this?
0: Yeah, like why why can't you get an answer to this? Like
2: Yeah. Can
1: I charge my phone? That's yeah. important. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Need and- to know. And, you know, you have a couple of questions about childcare, like meetups. Uh-huh. Hey, does anyone want to start a soccer team on the island? Oh, I,
0: yeah, that was great. I love that. I want to be a part of the Krakowa, uh football club.
1: Give me a series focusing on these people. Yes, yeah. I'm begging.
2: Yeah, I would love like a one shot series of somebody and their friends being like, hey, we're going to go on vacation to Krakoa for the first time. You know, just something yeah. like that. A nice like slice of life kind of thing.
0: Uh. uh- Island related relationship advice needed. Yes, another of these posts is just like perfection. <laughs> like,
2: yes. Like Yep. Yep. No, she she Teeny got this perfectly when she wrote it. Yeah. Like, it's so good.
0: Yep. Me- yep. Meanwhile, back in Camelot.
2: Yeah. Meanwhile, with Arthurian legends, uh, it seems that trying to start a war with mutants has not solved Morgan Le Fay's plant problem, as they are growing back in her pool.
1: Uh, yeah, it um, it seems like they're dying, but they keep uh, appearing. Are they, like, pulling them from somewhere?
2: It's not clear. I almost get the impression that, like, something has happened to try to get part of Krakoa into Otherworld, and this is where it's leaking through. Oh,
1: uh-huh.
2: So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 not clear.
0: And it seems what's happening is it's trying to form a gate here, too. So... Yeah, this uh, Krakawa really wants to make a gate in another world, I guess. Um, So she gets on the uh, mirror phone with uh, Mariana Stern, who um, mentions that she still has not dealt with the mutants yet. But also, we learn that Britain does not know that Captain Britain is now Betsy. And -hmm. more importantly, now a mutant.
2: Yes, which is a very interesting focus for Morgan Le Fay because, you know, why did she care if the British people know who that is or not? I I, I get what she's going for with like a, oh, you know, the people of Britain will turn against her and so she'll have opposition on both sides. Uh, but it's it's very almost petty in a funny way.
1: She seems very uninformed about how the real world works. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this comes across as a joke where Marianne is trying to like redirect her thoughts into things that are actually matter
2: yeah no one 100 and i think we've gotten that vibe before on other ones where morgan lefay is just like yeah the material world that's just kind of where i have some followers i guess yep not my problem yeah.
0: really wants these flowers out of her fountain
2: mm-hmm and we also get Immediate confirmation off of the cliffhanger from last issue that, yes, this giant dragon is, in fact, Jubilee's son, Shogo.
0: I, I still think it ate him.
1: Mm, well, the gear is still out, I feel.
2: Also true. I mean, they kind of take a guess as to what happened, and they come to the conclusion that, hey, weird fairy magic, the imagination of a child, eh, shrug, I guess it works. Well, I, I do I, like
1: the like super cutesy uh, version of Shogo and the dragon, like yes, yeah, I, I in love the that too. Imagination of I think it's Betsy here.
0: Yeah, I, I think Betsy is implying that she is kind of seeing this in Shogo's mind, um, oh, right? Because it's like the the purple thing is like her powers, uh, so yeah, it seems okay. yeah, Shogo wandered through the gate and just turned into a dragon. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently the reason is because uh babies have a lot of imagination and can just tap into the power of that a lot easier than older people.
2: Yeah, shrug magic.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh-huh. Uh and then I do have to kind of agree with Gambit here. Uh he is still upset that they have left Rogue back with Apocalypse and she is still sleeping beauty as far as they know. Uh, and he's really upset about it, and I don't blame him, considering the fact that he's even here, is because Betsy didn't take a minute and talk to everybody before teleporting them.
0: Yeah, because the the goal seems to be here, rescue Brian, and Gambit is just like, no, I I, I want to go help Rogue.
1: Yeah, there is no, like, direct path towards um, helping Rogue, or there is very little like proof or evidence that helping Brian is going to help Rogue mm-hmm. uh, or how she's going to get out of that. Like, it seems to me just by virtue of this being on the same issue in the same series that those are connected. But I think it's fair uh, that Gambit isn't all that convinced.
0: Yeah. Like he, he just feels himself getting further and further away, further and further away from helping his wife. And that's just not yeah. something he's into. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh does agree to help, and uh, Shogo um, is going to just fly them there.
2: Mm-hmm. With another cute little Shogo imagination uh, picture right here. Uh, especially the next one, where it's a very happy Shogo, and Jubilee is hugging him. It's just, it's adorable.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: so, yeah, we get to Camelot, and uh, Brian is um, stuck in a dungeon with a lot of chains. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh,
2: they they must have had like a sale on chains to give a good some good vibes because man there's a lot of them and only three of them are actually being used but yeah no yeah. Brian is uh doing really bad he's doing a great evil knight look though
0: yeah he's like muzzled by like a mouth guard thing here does not seem to be doing great uh wants to see his sister who he refers to as the pretender.
2: I'm sure their meeting will go just fine. Uh, We do get our group of three mutants attacking the castle here, and besides some action, uh, we do get a mention from Betsy that she can't exactly control the minds of the knights here because of other world interference, is how she puts it.
1: Yeah, it reads to me as if they were, like, um, not entirely real or not entirely, like unanchored from the myth and the legends and the such they are like fictional constructs in a way that she can't actually manipulate in the same way uh she yeah, can she do look material a human. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I, I get that vibe too, honestly, which, you know, I don't I honestly don't know if these people are quote unquote real or not. They may just be living stories.
1: Yeah. Especially how she describes it, like trying to grab a handful of water. Um, it feels like something that seems corporeal, but when you grab it, it, like, falls through.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, I, I think there's an aspect of, like, if not illusion, then um they they exist through some other plane of uh you know, existence.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I get the vibe that that was maybe a pretty big part of the battle plan here because we are two pages into this fight and we are uh planning on calling Shogo down to get out of here.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, this they plan... They didn't think this through. No, not at all. Which, I mean, hey, it's consistent. They technically don't really think things through. They just kind of go.
1: Uh-huh. They should have uh, leveled up a bit, like uh, Gambit yeah, ga- suggested a couple of pages back. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: it's, it's it's time to fight. Um. So, yeah, we call Shogo down, and um, we're trying to get up on Shogo, but here is Brian and a bunch of other black-looking knights...
2: Mm-hmm, with some lovely red glow behind everything, just to add that little extra spice of menace.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
2: So, but we do get a fun, different characterization of Brian, uh, because he is leashed by these two other knights. But as they try and fight Betsy, he cuts down his handlers and immediately starts to try and kill his sister, uh, which he's wielding a massive sword, kind of like Guts from Berserk, uh, so he's basically going full uh, power into his attacks.
1: Yeah, that's accurate.
0: Yeah. um, They they say we're not going to be able to help him. Um, Captain uh, Betsy here says that he's Captain Britain and they just say that's you now. So, yeah, uh, that might be a status quo. We're just keeping here. Mm
2: hmm. Mm uh-huh. hmm. I You know, I didn't really get the vibe a lot, the last issue uh, especially, that Betsy didn't want the title. She did, True, she never was like, oh yeah, you know, I have it now. But we, we get a look here that, no, she really does not want it. She wants to give it back to her brother and is despa- desperately trying to do so.
1: Yeah, I would assume that's mostly tied to him being brainwashed. Um, but yeah, I don't think she would have a problem like relinquishing the title. Um yeah. and this like psychic uh message that she gets, uh where she says, from one reluctant warrior queen to another. Uh is this Morgan LaFay sending that message?
0: Yeah, I think it's supposed to be Morgan here.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because she's standing at the window holding up a glass. Yeah. So which I'm happy you pointed out also because I love little bits like that where the villain just kind of raise a toast to the hero as they're running away. It, it's a small little thing, but I don't know. I love it. I love it when the villains just mock the heroes.
1: Yeah. Fair. Uh,
0: so we get another data page after this. Um, apparently in my 13, I guess was informed of this captain Britain thing. And they're now trying to do surveillance on other world assets. Uh, this is the Braddock's family, uh, Morgan Le Fay in general, um, Kate, uh, someone named Courtney Ross, who is a character from um, Excalibur, I barely remember. And then Rachel Summers and Kurt Wagner. Um, who don't really have much to do with that right now. Uh Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, no, just a a, a data page that is a data page. Not like the one we saw in Marauders or anything that adds a ton to the story.
0: Yeah, it's just the government's looking into them now.
1: Uh Uh-huh. So Mm -hmm. we go back to... England.
2: Yep, and we head back to the new tree-based Braddock lighthouse, where Apocalypse is still trying to figure out how to open a portal to the other world. And he is trying to use crystals uh, that humans had used for generations, but they're too finite. And for an eternal people, it's not going to work. He needs somebody who can make something that's going to last longer.
0: Something about Apocalypse saying fickle stones and throwing away one of these rocks is just very... I, I don't know. I, I still am very much getting the impression that Apocalypse is just kind of playing around here.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: He's hes just over here, like, really upset about power sources.
2: Mm-hmm. He's, he's a kid given his first chemistry set and was like, hey, go nuts.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Apocalypse decides he needs to get him someone good with rocks. And who's good with rocks? Richter so uh he's making a house call
1: mm-hmm. yeah he's tired of being left uh like on scene
0: yeah
2: yeah and he's like you he's know gonna, he's this gonna go time make I'll, a visit
1: house himself this
2: time i will have a good travel and we have a really funny scene as he walks through a gate in uh central park and people are just hanging out you know having a picnic and here comes apocalypse just walking through
1: why is this gate not surrounded by a military installation
2: uh, maybe they,
1: maybe they shut that down
2: yeah maybe they're like actually this is bad vibes maybe we shouldn't
1: do that
0: yeah well, i don't think the u.s did it but i'm wondering if Crack was like hey no you can't put up a checkpoint
1: yeah i wonder
0: yeah
2: also is this
1: actually central park yeah i guess the skyline gives it away
2: yeah, yeah. The, the city skyline kind of gives that implication uh, okay. But I also would have hated to have been the border guard that would have had to have check in Apocalypse coming through the gate. That would have been a real bad day to be on the job.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he uh, pays a visit, just kind of opens up Richter's little uh, coffin earth thing. It mm-hmm. tells him it's time to go to uh, He He straight up calls it that Richter is depressed right now. And uh, gives the kind of comforting line of "there is nothing you can break that I cannot fix," which is just a weirdly nice line for Apocalypse, even though I don't know if he meant it that way.
1: No, yeah, I think um, this is easily the most like warm, encouraging uh, set of lines we've gotten from Apocalypse. Yeah, he actually feels like trustworthy in this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I, um, I can see why Richter took the hand here. Yeah. Um, and like yeah, its yeah. He,
1: he said the right words,
0: yeah, and it's yeah and especially because it's like apocalypse absolutely means that when like when apocalypse says a line, like there is nothing you can break that icon cannot fix, like that is something that he is stating where he thinks that is factual, like yeah, man, I'm apocalypse uh- uh-huh. mm-hmm. um i'm I'm not scared of the earthquake power,
2: mm-hmm. No one, one hundred percent. Like he's not the guy who's gonna lie to him just to get him to where he needs to go.
0: Yeah, this is not Sebastian.
2: No, 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 no. So, but then we get a, a bit of an awkward cut, I would say, where we have this nice line, and then all of a sudden here is Richter and Apocalypse back into the lighthouse. No real look on if Richter had any problems trying to get through the portal, going outside. If Apocalypse helped him or not. My mental image is that Apocalypse carried him like a new bride and just walked him through the portal, but that's probably <laughs> not what happened. But oh, that, you, that's what you, I'm going to you know, go with.
0: You know what I think? Do you remember the earlier uh, Crackle forum post we thought when they said, "Do you have anyone that can hold your hand as you go through the gate?"
2: Oh man,
0: Apocalypse! You're right. Apocalypse!
2: Oh, could you imagine just Apocalypse walking through and he's holding the hand of this tiny little guy next to him?
0: Yeah,
1: it's great. It's a great image.
2: Oh no! Uh, Yeah, that's okay. That's one hundred percent what happened. No one can tell me otherwise.
1: Yeah, uh, especially since he's like walking outside of the tower and he's not creating an earthquake. It feels like, um, you know, Apocalypse's words of encouragement really got through to him.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I mean I can't say I would be any different. If some big, scary, strong guy was like, "You can do it." I'll fix anything that goes wrong, but you got this. I'd be like, yeah, I do got this.
0: I mean, like, Apocalypse's bicep is like the size of Richter, so like, yeah, I I would trust
2: that That, Yeah, that too, that too. Uh Uh-huh. So, thankfully, now that Richter has somebody who believes in him, he's doing a bit better. Uh, But having walked outside, he does get stopped by a member of MI-13, Pete Wisdom. Uh, who is a member of British Secret Intelligence. And like I mentioned earlier, because it is timely, uh, the Queen needs Captain Britain.
0: Yep. Yeah, this is also a character from the original Excalibur, um, and also a mutant, but seems to be still doing Britain stuff.
1: Yeah, he's got, like, fire claws coming out of his fingers.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty much his power set.
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay,
2: Seems Cool. cool.
1: Yeah, I think I'd asked a couple of issues uh ago if um uh double oh seven had ever appeared in this mm. uh yes you did in these runs. And this is this comes pretty close, I think. Yeah. I was still uh left to be seen uh how much they go into like the secret agent troops. Um but I'm happy with this.
2: hmm We we do get some secret agents, secret intelligence, and also for the queen.
1: Uh huh. Yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, honestly, this is probably the most I've been into in an issue of Excalibur that we've started reading. Uh, this
1: might be my favorite issue this week. Yeah, really?
0: this was a... I, I don't know if I would say it's my favorite. I think this was a very strong batch of issues here. Uh, But, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like a lot of the issues I've had for Excalibur just weren't really present here. Um. There, there's still some kind of weird pacing, especially with the battle scene here. But I thought everything with Apocalypse and Richter was really good, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, the Shogo stuff's adorable. Like, I, I guess they just needed to get to the other world.
1: Yeah, I saw the other two issues this week as kind of setup, and uh, I was hoping for payoff on this one because it's it's kind of been all over the place with Rogue and, um, the. Yeah, the, 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 ca- uh, the Betsy's Captain family. Britain stuff, right? Yeah, the Captain Britain stuff and another world and everything. And now that last issue, we had a like really good closing scene with them arriving on another world, um having a dragon, like a very straight like conflict to tackle. I was hoping for this issue to like recenter things, um and like focus on just one thing and it kind of did it and I I am happy about it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting cuz like i guess there was two main focuses in this issue but it does feel like it this very well could have not have been uh focused because there was like an entirely new character we've introduced here and yeah. uh but i i feel like the plots were kept separate enough where it worked really well
1: yeah we we had a good main conflict we had a b plot um mariana showed up but it was only for like a second so it didn't bother me and it's not like I hate her, but like the cult stuff hasn't really been developed to a point where I care about it. Um, so I I did really enjoy this. Um, as kind of like a very centered, uh, focused on one thing, uh, you know, narrative.
0: Yeah, this was a uh, yeah. I again very much agree there. Um, I this is absolutely the strongest issue of Excalibur so far. This was a big improvement.
1: Uh huh. My my only gripe with it is there was no uh bullshit magic talk data page from Apocalypse.
0: Yeah, yeah. We we <laughs> need those. Those are important. You gotta you gotta keep those coming, Howard. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I, I wanted him to talk about how circles inside of like triangles are, yeah. are powerful. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, you know, maybe we'll get a breakdown about how these crystals are better than the finite crystals of humanity or something. Yes, um, that's
0: important. Yeah, um, I'm sure we- we'll
2: get something like that.
0: If you put the, if you arrange this, uh, the crystals in an X, they become more powerful. Mm,
2: mm-hmm,
1: uh-huh. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I'm missing. Yeah. Give me some more of that.
2: <laughs> uh, well, I do have to say that I also agree with both of you. Uh, this episode, where we've covered these three issues, has probably been my favorite batch. Like, they're all good for different reasons. Horticulture was fun, it was funny. Uh, I thought it was great. Marauders 3, I liked more of a look into Sebastian Shaw and what he was doing as well. And then, yeah, I would agree with Excalibur. I think this one is the tightest that it's been. Um, I also just kind of love Apocalypse just doing weird magic shit. It hasn't changed all that much. He's still doing it, and it's still really amusing to me.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. It's good. Excalibur might be okay. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that wraps us up for this week. Uh, two weeks from now, we will be going into New Mutants number three, X-Force number three, and Fallen Angels number three.
2: Yep.
1: We sure are, yeah.
2: Yep, I am excited for two of those. You can guess which two they are.
1: Fallen hmm.
0: Angels.
2: Absolutely. And the
1: Fallen Angels reread. Yes, yeah.
2: yes. The other two I actually don't care about. They're making me read them, which is kind of horrible, but hey, at least I get my... uh fallen angels in
0: there yeah
1: yeah get your fallen angels fix each week mm-hmm. yeah very important
0: but all right uh where can they find you guys
1: uh people can find me over at uh fireblend on uh Twitter and co-host and they can also follow the other podcast that i do which is stray reads uh we're covering uh the first three murder book books uh soon we're about to record that episode so yeah look forward to that and check out the other previous too.
2: Mm-hmm. And if you are looking for me, you can find me at Sonics on Twitter. That is S-A-W-N-E-E-K-S. Uh, I mostly just talk about Pokemon or memes there, honestly. Not a whole bunch. Uh, and then, uh, Tim, if they are looking for you, uh, where should they send a agent of MI13?
0: Uh, MutantsUnmuted.com.
2: Okay, got it. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's, that's where yeah. I mainly hang out.
2: Gotcha. Are you still trying to start that football team? Yeah. Yeah, okay, good luck. I'm sure you'll find somebody. I'm sure Wolverine would be a great uh, running back.
0: We're uh, we're looking for a forward.
2: Ah, okay. I'm sure you'll find somebody.
0: We're talking about two different football years. um But...
2: <laughs> I know <laughs> <Yes>. we are. <laughs> um,
1: sports, right?
2: Yeah, yep. sports.
1: God, I would love to know what Krakowa's like favorite sport is
0: yeah same. Right? Like what, what's the what's the pastime of Krakowa? We we need more day-to-day stuff. Yes. Um but alright, I think that's gonna do us for this week.
2: Yeah. yeah, uh if you are looking to follow us on social media, you can find us at Study of X, either on Twitter or on Tumblr. Uh, You know, if you are listening to this podcast, again, thank you so much for doing so. Uh, If you could leave us a review on your podcasting app of choice, that would be wonderful. Uh, And if you do have any questions, comments, theories, anything like that, you can email us at studyofx at gmail.com.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Those would be welcome. Please do that. All right. right All
2: right. Until next time. Later, mutants.
1: Alright.